Don't get upset over evildoers. Don't be jealous of those who do wrong, because they will fade fast like grass. They will wither like green vegetables. Trust the Lord and do good. Live in the land and farm faithfulness. Enjoy the Lord, and he will give what your heart asks. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust him. He will act and, make, and will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, your justice like high noon. Be still before the Lord and wait for him. Don't get upset when someone gets ahead, someone who invents evil schemes. Let go of anger and leave rage behind. Don't get upset. It will only lead to evil. Because evildoers will be eliminated, but those who hope in the Lord, they will possess the land. In just a little while, the wicked won't exist. If you go looking around their place, they won't be there. But the weak will inherit the land. They will enjoy a surplus of peace. The salvation of the righteous comes from the Lord. He is their refuge in times of trouble. The Lord will help them and rescue them, rescue them from the wicked, and he will save them because they have taken refuge in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, man. So if you hadn't noticed yet, all of our songs and corporate prayers and our reading for today come from the book of the Psalms. This idea kind of started a few years ago, and we're kind of bringing it back. Um, But it started a few years ago when I kind of challenged Jeff Crawford, our, our old music director, to put together a whole set of worship music motivated by the Psalms. It seemed kind of cool and novel that you could have Uh, one set guided by this kind of rule that included like Chris Tomlin's Forever and uh, like a beautiful Sandra McCracken like transpose psalm and also like a reboot of Luther's iconic of Mighty Fortress is Our God and they're all quoting the same body of scripture in all these diverse uh, ways new and old. So I think aside from the fun of like playlist making Right, We started to see when we were doing this how rich these psalms, these words, these songs are, new and old, and how they're in the business of expanding our horizons and our capacity to know and worship God together, to live in communion with God, to grow our hearts to love what God loves, how God loves. And this, of course, kind of dovetails nicely into the current kind of epiphany head and heart space that we've been in since Christmas. Talking about revelation, insight of who God is, understanding God's nearness, talking about new creation, talking about justice and jubilee, all these themes that we've been hitting on, these themes of this season. And I think for for most of us, when we even even still when we think about these themes we, we think about them as coming to us in a moment, like a snap of a finger, a light bulb gone off when we have an epiphany, right? And while that's true, and I think we, we need to celebrate when that happens, when the spirit like pierces through the noise and numbness of our hearts and lives, it's, it's not really our main experience on how this stuff happens. Mostly it's, it's slower, <laughs> it's, it's more patient, it's, it's a grind, in our day-to-day lives, whether, and I, 
it's it's hard to generalize with a room full of people what their day-to-day lives and concerns are, especially related to God. Uh, it's hard to generalize when we have students and moms and dads and single people and all sorts of people in this room what that means. Uh, there are maybe some commonalities. Like maybe some of us are living day-to-day lives in desperation and on empty, right? Like this, this could mean we're looking for where our next meal is going to come or that we're just trying to make it through the week to the weekend or make it through the weekend to the week if your parents can I get an amen, right? That we're like burning it at both ends to get a paper done or a test finish, like we're on on E. We're like Kramer on Seinfeld, like the, the needle is going to break off. We're on E, right? Or that, that we're just in the middle of this cloud of anxiety and gloom that we're not really sure it's going to pass. Like our, our head feels like our weather system right now. And it just, it, you don't know if there's a way out. Or maybe like you're in a season of delay. I, I think that's, a little more subtle, but but really hard to be in because you're just waiting. You're suspended. You're waiting for the next, like, quote, unquote, the thing to happen, and you can't do anything until that thing happens. Or you're waiting for a relationship to form or to deepen, or you're waiting for, like, an insight that you have or an intuition about the future to, to kind of fill in. Like, right now it's just a sketch. You're not really sure how it's going to flesh out and become three-dimensional and real and immediate. These sorts of experiences, both of these are just just a couple, uh, not an exhaustive list, but they're specific in their actual details for each of us, but I think they're wide and common in their expressions, and and I think what they both do is they tend to kind of throttle us down. Instead of living expansively and openly to God and to each other, they, they, they throttle us down into this limited experience, limited emotions. They restrict our vision. They choke out hope, and they mess with our memory, most of us on a day-to-day basis. So I think here are a couple ways that might look for us. It's always hard to kind of chart these, but I'll try. Um, Bethy, there's – yeah, great. So – Try to see yourself in this picture and how you're, you're viewing time. Um, this picture of time, the, the white cone, kind of represents like good. The colors, you can't really see it, it grayed, but it's from green to yellow. And so green represents kind of growth and flourishing and, and you're excited. And so if you're living in this mindset, the past was where the good was. <laughs> and you can't go back there. Uh, maybe something happened or maybe, maybe it was a gradual drift or taper into this present that is not very promising and your prospects are narrowing. That is a terrible place to be and it feels awful. It feels pretty doomed to live in this sort of world. Or, or maybe the exact opposite is true for you, where your past was terrible and something has gotten better, you at least have hope on the horizon. This might even, this might even not be a founded hope. This might be a, a general optimism or uh, excitement or desire about something good has got to come because it couldn't get worse, right? And so our present now is some sort of preparation for this better future. The best is still ahead of me. I have not achieved my you know, full potential. Or I think a lot of us probably live something like 
option number three. <laughs> Where the past was pretty good, and I wish I could go back, but I can't get back there. And the future will be good, whether that's the seasonal future, just get me to summertime, it'll be better, or something far off God's like just right-making future, and you're just hoping that things get better, but in the meantime, you're kind of throttled down. You're constricted. You're, you're not living very fully. And so we wind up um, kind of doing one of these things, and I think there's some other ways that you can live where maybe your past is constricted and your future is constricted and your present is blown out of proportion and not really funded on something uh, that you can trust in or something that you can hope in. But, but we'll kind of work with these images. So I, I want to kind of commend to you something that's going to maybe fight these tendencies or, or these things that, that kind of wind up shaping our lives and our bandwidth. I want to commend to you the Psalms as a whole set of songs that we've been given, that we've inherited from Israel, which tune and kind of rehabilitate our hearts to open us up and open us out to who God is and how God's working to expand our vocabulary and our bandwidth in prayer. I think the Psalms do this for us or, or can be a tool for that. They come to us in like all sorts of shapes and sizes, which is kind of cool. Some of these Psalms express, um, are like expressly written by someone. A lot of them are written by David. And they have to do with like specific moments of joy or pain in his life. They're really embedded Psalms so um, think about like Psalm 51, uh, that's not 51 yet, um, but like Psalm 51 cannot be pried out of the context. Psalm 51 is, is David's psalm of repentance when Nathan comes to him. They cannot be pried out of the actual events in David's life. You can't read or you, maybe you shouldn't read Psalm 51 without thinking of David sinning by raping Bathsheba, by murdering her husband Uriah, and then perpetrating this cover-up. And then he's confronted by the prophet Nathan. And ultimately, Psalm 51 are the words of his face-down repentance before the Lord. It can't be taken out of this context. It's embedded and outpoured from David's complicated life right in front of God lived right in front of God. I think this is sort of the case with um, tonight is the Oscars, right? Is anyone watching the Oscars? No? No one's watching the Oscars? Yeah. I think it's kind of the case with, with songs that get nominated for the like, song of the year for related to movies, right? You have a distinct advantage if your song is sung on camera, right? That's why Shallow is going to win tonight because you cannot detach it from its indelible place in this dramatic story. I'm really high on this song right now um, because we watched a movie this week for the first time. I hated the song before I saw the movie, but the movie provides the context. Oh, uh, A Star is Born with, with Lady Gaga, Lady Gaga, right? <laughs> yeah, and, and Bradley Cooper, right? And like, this is no shade to, to um, Black Panther or like the Kendrick Lamar song, which is awesome and like rolls through the credits. But it's really hard to substitute even the best song that rolls during the credits with a song that bubbles up inside of the plot itself. If you hadn't seen the movie, 
uh, and this isn't really giving anything away, they sing this song in A Star is Born in the parking lot as when they first meet. And it, it becomes kind of uh, part of the movie and also this, this major kind of description and, and overarching summary of the whole of the movie. It's kind of like Falling Slowly from Once a few years ago, like that Glenn Hansard song, that you can't listen to that song and not even see pictures or feel the emotions that were happening. Disney really knows this well. That's why, like, uh, last year, the song from Coco, Remember Me, won. And you hear that song, you, you see the whole movie. You see the, the golden petals and, and, and all of the vibrant, bright sounds and, and sights of that movie. These poems are embedded. They express and they sum up the whole world of memory and emotion and hope, and they're tied to a lived experience, even a fictional lived experience. I, I think this was the case personally with um, uh, Psalm 139. When, when we had our first uh, kid, Noah, many of you know Noah, and she's going to be the star of this sermon, but uh, we you know, you're tired as a, as a dad and you're, you're exhausted and I'm not even a mom, right? And, uh, and you're kind of leery and weary and, and up at weird times. And we committed, Rachel and I, to uh, learning um, Psalm 139 from memory. And it's pretty long and, and we weren't sure that we could do it. In the early days, we would have our phone while holding and rocking because you do a lot of holding and rocking. And um, within like a month, you know the whole thing, right, by, by memory. And uh, for me, um, those words, oh, Lord, you search me and you know me, you know when I sit and when I rise, uh, all those things are embedded, and I can feel how that feels. And, and, and it's kind of cool because on purpose, the words kind of mirror that reality of uh, you hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me as you're holding your newborn child, right? And I, I, can, I can like smell when, when those words come to me because they're deeply embedded into this memory and this experience. I think the same, uh, uh, the same is true for, for Israel with some of these songs. Um, the, the Psalms of Ascent uh, these, these psalms um, that Israel sings together as they march up to God, almost like protest songs. Uh, you, can, you can feel how that, how that felt when you first sang that in a group and joined your voices with someone and there was emotion. You can feel the cold uh, when, when you were outside City Hall uh, advocating on behalf of Samuel when you're singing these songs together. And, and Israel had all these songs deeply embedded and flowing out of their common life with God together. Some, um, uh, but that's not kind of the only, there's not only kind of one type of psalm that's happening here. There's, there's a lot of different types, and I think that's a strength of this kind of canon, this group of, of psalms we had together. And I think one of the cool and ironic things about the psalms that we have is that they often violate, violate many of the like faux pas and things we hate about worship music and hymns. Um, and they're in our book, and we can't get rid of them. Like, w we often choose just not to read them or engage with them. But if, if we, like uh, many monastic communities, read through the Psalms, and all of them in a week, and then 52 times in a year over and over, and so they're engaging with this whole breadth of emotion for God's people. 
Like, for instance, like, you might think, you might hate uh, turning on Christian radio because the songs are kind of too simplistic, or sometimes they don't even really talk much about God. The, the, but, like, how about uh, Psalm 133, when it's really just talking about how pleasant it is for God's people to live together? And there's also a, a nice verse about beards, which is great. <laughs> you wouldn't necessarily put this in if you were, if you were writing the most pious kind of of songs about God. Or maybe you hate song, uh, worship songs that are too repetitive. They only have like three chords and five words. Well, the call to worship that we had, Psalm 118, repeats this chorus. His love endures forever, over and over and over. So much so that Chris Tomlin was like, it's already written for me. I could do this, right? <laughs> or we might hate some of our worship songs because they're too individualistic. There's too many like first person singular pronouns. Psalm 34. I will extol the Lord. This is within Israel, but this is definitely a, a personal devotional tool. Or you might not like some kind of more like emo Christian music because it's too wordy. There's just too, they're cramming too many words into not a, enough bars. I present to you Psalm 119, and this is only 122nd of the length of the whole psalm. Can you go to the next one, Bethy? Yeah, this is just... This is just one twenty-second of the whole thing. Uh, this is normally when people burn out when they are trying to read through the Psalms, right? Or you might not like music because they're kind of too dramatic, right? Like kind of too TMI, kind of too personal. You're kind of like, you need to have your own quiet time. Well, <laughs> I, pr I present to you Psalm 63. You go one more, Bethy? And this is like, I thirst for you, God. Like, th this is Pentecostal uh, psalms, right? Or maybe you don't like so some of the old hymns because they're too negative. Talk too much about sin, like Psalm 51. Wash, my, wash away my iniquity. I've done evil in your sight. I, I've always been evil since, since before I was born. Or, or maybe in this, I don't know, you might have... Um, this might be like a bugaboo for you, I don't know, that you don't like songs that talk too much about instruments. Is that a thing? Because so <laughs> Psalm 150 only talks about instruments. It's, it's like really crazy. Maybe if we're in like Tennessee or whatever, in like acapella churches, this would be a thing. But the Psalms kind of like, they're all about some instruments too. But I think the goal of all this breath, and this is kind of a silly way to talk about this, the goal is, is expansion. The, the goal is to expand our intimacy. The goal is to, in the ways the, these psalms, these songs form us, is to grow the emotional avenues and open ourselves up to express ourselves before God. And, and also to, to generate like surprising ways for these to spark discovery of God's presence. They're capacious tools for our growth. And I think today's psalm, as today's psalm is beautifully translated, these are implements for, to help us farm faithfulness. Uh, I love that phrase. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer talks about praying the psalms this way, and he says, the more deeply we grow into the psalms and the more often we pray them as our own, the more simple and rich prayer will become. So if you're looking to grow in your prayer life, get in the Psalms. You'll get language and vocabulary for it. Um, 
just uh, quickly to, to see how some of this comes alive in our psalm today uh, related to our, our previous discussion about, about our, our past and our present and our future. I, I love Psalm 37 because I think it opens all of these up a little more. Uh, it, no matter where we were kind of choked off or closed down, Psalm, th- and that, I didn't mean for that to look like a football field, but uh, <laughs> Psalm 37 opens, it opens up our past because it helps us remember more vividly. It remembers uh, so, so often um, God's promise of the land, God's promise of a place of security and any hope for uh, God to be refuge or safety is based on a God who has already given them a, a land initially to have and then to return to. Uh, we didn't read, but verses 25 and 26 says, I was young and now I'm old, but I have never seen the righteous left all alone. have never seen their children begging for bread. They are always gracious and generous. Their children are a blessing. There is blessing in their history, in their family tree, indelibly embedded into their memory. And this psalm helps them to remember those good times because right now it's not so good and it's hard to remember when things aren't good. There, it also helps them look towards the future and opens up their future. Again, that can be so closed down when things aren't good. It helps them hope more robustly. And, and I think this is the persistent aiming themselves and their heart and their worship towards the Lord. Verses 33 and 34. But the Lord won't leave the righteous to the power of the wicked and won't let the righteous be found guilty when they are judged. Hope in the Lord and keep his way. He will lift you up so that you can possess the land. When the wicked are eliminated, you will see it for yourself. There is a hope, there is a future, and it is sure and durable and stronger than what they're experiencing now. And it is opened up to them in these words. In their present they're allowed with these words and the promises made and the promises kept to live between those and to live more abundantly. And I think some, some of the assurance for that is this idea in, in, the, in verse 11 when it says, the weak will inherit the land. They're hoping for the land given by the Lord and what they're looking around is they're just seeing the strong threatening to crush them, but they have this, they have this crazy idea that the weak will inherit the land. They, they still have an inheritance, even as they're threatened, even as they're hurting. Because this, while taking um, past and present circumstances really seriously, I think psalms like this take our eyes off of us and like reevaluate where we are and where we're going in light of where God is and who God is, where God's in the midst of it all. Walter Brueggemann's an Old Testament scholar. He often talks about how the Psalms have this like logic of orientation and disorientation and reorientation. I think that's right. And I think the primary way that these Psalms, these songs like this, reorient us is they reorient us to see and understand God's presence exactly with us. That's the greatest reveal. It's that God has been with us this whole time. God is with us now, and God will be with us. Whatever experience we're in the middle of and whatever emotion we're struggling to express, God is right with us, right beside us, right behind and before, laying his hand upon us, to quote 139. 
This is the expansive world of Psalm 37. Our past should be opened up to God so that it represents not like the thin wedge nor the bygone era of what was good, but a time when God's presence was with us and his promise was for us. The future should also be opened up to God as a time when God will be our all in all, fulfilling promises and making things right. So so often these psalms appeal to a future where God is going to fix it because it's broken right now. But having this past and this future open up, I don't think it leaves us in this bottleneck now. Instead, I think it causes us to expand our bandwidth for praise and lament and intimacy. Nothing is off limits and nothing is going to surprise God. We're given vocabulary to walk with and talk with and feel and suffer and hope with the God who is with us, the God who has been with us. That's why I think it's profoundly interesting in light of all this, in light of all this expansion, that when we look at Jesus' life and Jesus' words, it seems like every time Jesus is cut, he bleeds the words of the Psalms. That's what comes out. He's got these words so deeply into his bones, they form his vocabulary. Like, when he's teaching them, he has these, little, these cool little psalm quotes. I'm not even sure he knows that he's doing it. When he's teaching them, he says, all of this comes to you out of the mouths of babes, as he's pointing to the kids coming unto him and talking about what the kingdom is like. Psalm 8. When he's feeding them, he talks about how God has rained down manna and given them the grain of heaven. Psalm 78. It gets almost obnoxious how well he knows these psalms, right? When he's talking about his controversial identity and says the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, that's Psalm 118. When he's talking about the kingdom, what the kingdom is like, he, he has these beatitudes that Matthew preached through last week, and he's trying to give them an imagination for God's economy, this new way of being and this new way that looks so different than what they're used to or what they, they thought they should be hoping for. He says, the meek shall inherit the earth, which is so eerily similar to what we read today. This, this represents Jesus' vocabulary. This is his thought world, and this is what uh, comes out of him, and especially even when he's dying. On the cross, he, he mouths the words of Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It sounds so strange coming from Jesus, knowing what we know about Jesus. But what it means for us is that he's experienced the utmost level of humanity. He's experienced everything we could possibly experience, even loneliness and abandonment for us. We can never be more lonely or abandoned than Jesus felt at that moment. And, And the Psalms give him words for this. Or his dying breath, he says, into your hands I commit my spirit. That's Psalm 31. Again, we will never be more faithful or more committed to what God is doing than Jesus. He's showing this uh, us, and we have these words that were also at his disposal. These are so persistent in the life of Jesus that you start to kind of wonder, I start to kind of wonder, whose words are these anyways 
are they the psalmist first or are they Jesus's first? And I, I kind of think they might first and foremost be Jesus's words. And this, this kind of trips us up a little bit because of like time and space, you know? But I, stay with me a little bit and think that perhaps the eternal son Father, Son, and Spirit, who lived in community before creation, who doesn't even need creation, who is just this community of love, the Eternal Son somehow lent these words to Israel to sing and to shape their common life, lends them to us, so that he could be formed in and alongside these people in their life, to the point that he'd inherit and embody these words and give them back to Israel, give them back to us. God is speaking God's words in the midst of God's people back to God. There's this crazy loop happening there that we're caught up into. It's beautiful. It's, it's weird. <laughs> and all this is happening in time, in really challenging experiences, even in death. This is one of those embedded psalms that we can't think of apart from real life. So now when you read songs, instead of having them feel distant and strange, which they kind of are sometimes, and maybe they kind of should be, imagine those words on Jesus' lips. Anything that's happening in the Psalms, imagine Jesus speaking those words. Fit these words into Jesus' story. Allow for the Lord Jesus to be the Lord of these songs and control what they mean. Allow, uh, like, that might allow you to remember them more deeply because Jesus was there in that memory, even if you didn't notice it. They might allow you to hope more richly because Jesus will be there. They might allow you, like right now, to live more abundantly in the present because even now by the gift of the Spirit, Jesus is with us until the end of the age. And all this is possible because as Hebrews puts it, Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. The beginning, the end, the alpha, and the omega, not changing yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And he's been at this dogged practice of farming faithfulness from the outset and has the songs to prove it. He's been farming faithfulness in the fallow scarcity of the cross and the grave, but also in the abundance of the Father since before creation and continues to do so in a spirit, as a spirit-raised human calling us to join him from everlasting to everlasting. That's the thing about this everlasting life is it doesn't just go to the future, it stretches back to. Understanding this might let these words take on kind of interesting shapes and and contours and allow them to shift into our context. And if we're lucky, if we practice enough, these words might also become our words. Uh, Thomas Merton says, in our suffering and perils, we find ourselves united with the mysterious companion who looms up at our side. And indeed within the depths of our soul as we recite the Psalms. It is Christ who has suffered before us and for us. He has come to us in the Psalms.